0: It's time to talk all things Dirty Birds. It's Falcon's Flyover
1: with John Chuckery on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.
0: Back in the key studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. It is John Chuckery's show, live on this Thursday evening with you. 404-741-0929. That is our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Odyssey app's how you catch us on the go. Social media at 929 The Game, at JMSH316, at the D. Lewis for real. This tonight. look at all things Atlanta Falcons. Excuse me. It is the Falcons flyover. We will talk to the longtime play-by-play voice of the Miami Heat, uh, Eric Reed, uh, coming up in about 20 minutes from right now. All right, Day-Day, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Pro Football Focus is listing the top three players on every franchise mm-hmm. in the NFL. I'm not asking you what Pro Football Focus picked as the top three players. For the Atlanta Falcons. Who do you think are the three best players for the Atlanta Falcons?
2: I would say uh Grady. I would say uh Chris Lindstrom and then I would say I would throw um and I know he just got here but I would say uh Calais Campbell.
0: Okay. Um so the foul so on this pro football focus list. Mm-hmm. They had the three players um, that they had listed. Chris Lindstrom, Mm -hmm. Jake Matthews, Hmm. Kyle Pitts. Now, I disagree with two of those three. So, let's start with Lindstrom. He's the no-brainer. Chris Lindstrom, let me make sure we're clear on this, okay? I want to be crystal clear where there's no discussion. He is the best player on the Atlanta Falcons two years running. Let me repeat that. Okay? For all you ham and eggers out there, for all you humanoids out there, Chris Lindstrom has been the best player on the Atlanta Falcons the last two seasons. Not one, two seasons. He's been the most dominant player at his position. He's been maybe the best or second best guard in the entirety of the NFL. He's an outstanding player. We've done nothing but throw bouquets at Chris Lindstrom, and he deserved every bit of that extension that he got. Because when you're the best of the best of the best of the best, as Will Smith said, then you get that kind of contract extension. Now, Jake Matthews. I think Jake Matthews for his career has been a better player than people give him credit for. I think he's been an underrated Falcon. I think he's been a guy that's been not appreciated as much as what a guy that's held that position in place for that many years should have gotten. But do I think Jake Matthews is one of the three best players right now in the Atlanta Falcons? Ain't no way, Jose. No way, Jose, though, I think he's one of the three best players in the Atlanta Falcons. It's not a shot against him, but he's not one of the three best. Now, Kyle Pitts. I know there's a lot of people that would say Kyle Pitts, and I I understand that. Can I tell you I've been very underwhelmed by Kyle Pitts in his first couple years. He has moments. But how many games is he really influencing? Out of out of 34 games, and I'm and I'm counting all 34 games even though he was injured, okay? I'm counting all 34 games. How many games is he really influenced? We have 20 losses in 34 games. So how many how many games is he really influencing? Even if you told me he influenced every single win, that's still a minus 6. Cuz we're 14 and 20. The last two years. I like Kyle Pitts. I like him a lot. He ain't one of the three best Atlanta Falcons. He ain't even one of the three most influential Atlanta Falcons. I Again, I've been very underwhelmed with some of this. You think that if Micah Parsons was on this roster and he did what he did in the first two years, that he wouldn't be looked at as one of the best players on the Atlanta Falcons? That he wouldn't be considered one of the three best players on this roster? I I would find that hard to believe. By the way, um guess guess who the number Hey, day day? Let's play the guess that player game. Okay, who do you think's number 1 on the list of best Dallas Cowboy players?
2: Oh, without a doubt Michael Parsons. Really?
0: <laughs> well. Well, what do you say, huh? What do you say to all of that? So again, I mean He's a very influential player. By the way, do you know who one of the three best players listed for the Detroit Lions is?
2: Oh, your boy, the lineman. Oh uh, well, how about uh, that? What's his name? Uh, Sewell. Yeah, Sewell.
0: And by the way, Aiden Hutchinson. Gee, I wonder why they're nine and eight and we're on the verge of an actual playoff bid, not a f- phony playoff bid, an actual playoff bid. Why they were nine and eight? Gee, have they invested in their line of scrimmage with their high draft picks? Oh, okay. Anyway, look, I like Pitts. I like him as a player. It's been very underwhelming as the fourth pick in the NFL draft. See, this is why I keep saying he's got to be Travis Kelsey. He has to influence games at a high level because these are the guys we've invested in. Would I have invested in those guys? No, I would not have. I understand it. But I would not have invested in some of these guys. Not when we're so glaringly deficient at other things that we do as a football franchise. As a football franchise. I don't think he's one of the three best players. Here's my list, A-Day. Lindstrom, Grady, A.J. Terrell.
2: Okay. Yeah, yeah. A.J. My yeah, three yeah. guys. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, I think A.J. Terrell an outstanding player. And by the way... He's a player that plays yeah, one-on-one.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: One-on-one. He does, and again, for even Kyle Pitts, I'm not telling you that it's all Kyle Pitts' fault because he has to have four things happen before he can influence a game. Yeah, He's got to have a line that blocks, good snap, quarterback gets out of pressure, he makes an accurate throw, and Pitts then goes up and catches it. Right? Look at his catch percentage over the last couple of years. It's been very underwhelming. It is what it is. Again, I keep saying he's got to have that Travis Kelsey type of year. Hundred, fourteen hundred dozen. Hundred, fourteen hundred dozen. That's all you gotta say. Uh our friend of the show, Tori McElhaney, had an interesting article about the Atlanta Falcons as far as the positionless team. Um, quote, you're gonna have to try, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to try. To find us, and this has been the big theme about Arthur Smith, Terry Fontenot, that they're a positionless team. Uh, Desmond Ritter um, talking about uh, all of this. um, What was the quote that he had? Uh, Now I can't find the quote uh, on here. But um, Drake London, in the first day of OTAs, he said, "quote It's positionless football." You're not going to know where anyone is lining up. You're going to have to try to find us. Tyler Algier, quote, we have a lot, a lot of weapons. That was his exact quote. We have a lot, a lot of weapons. It's all about the right building blocks, too, and getting all the right people on the field just uh, just to have everyone ball. It's nice to have, obviously, a really great offensive line, But just having the weapons to give to Desmond choices, I think it's the biggest thing. So, again, we talked about B. John Robinson and this to any other. It's not going to be traditional looks. Kyle Pitts is not going to play a traditional tight end. Jonu Smith will not always play a traditional tight end. Tyler Algier, B. John Robinson won't play just traditional running backs, one back set, eye formation, what have you. These guys are going to do lots of things and that's where the defense is too. You got to be able to do lots of things for this football team. You can't just get stuck in a rut and you only do one thing particularly well. You've got to be able to do multiples of things, right? It's like the Atlanta Hawks, right? Communicative, collaborative, right? So positionless football for uh for the Atlanta Falcons. All right, Bleacher Report has an article out Talking about one of the surprise players that is still on the market is Yannick Ngakwe, the defensive end for last year with the Colts, obviously played in Jacksonville. They have a quote here in their article. Quote, the Atlanta Falcons have taken steps to improve a pass rush that logged just 21 sacks last season. They added Calais Campbell, Bud Dupree, Caden Ellis to their passing rush rotation, drafted Zach Harrison in the third round. However, Atlanta can benefit from adding Ngakwe. Day-Day, what's the date today? Today is June 1st. Okay. Um, when did the Super Bowl take place?
2: Uh, that was February okay. eight, something. Pick a date. Uh, I think like the 13th or something okay. like
0: that. Okay, on February 14th, I was talking about Ngakwe right. being an Atlanta Falcon. Yeah. Like, I've talked about this. at I've talked about Ngakwe and Justin Houston. Give me those two guys, right? That I was talking about these guys all offseason long. Even if they're rotational pass rushers, who cares? Who cares? Ngakwe had nine and a half sacks, 27 quarterback pressures in 15 games played. He's registered at least eight sacks in every one of his seven seasons. Every season, at least eight sacks. Day, day. Ask me how many guys have had at least eight sacks in their first seven years with the Falcons. How many? None. (laughs) None. Zero zip nada. But we added this guy and that guy. Again, D-Led says you can't have too many cornerbacks. Okay? What do we say on this show, Day-Day? You can't can't have have too many many guys that sack sack the the quarterback. quarterback. Let's let's say that one more time. You You can't can't have too many many guys guys that sack the quarterback. quarterback. That's our life mantra. That's our football narrative. That's our position in life with it. Um, Did you see Cam Jordan um, tweeted at a Falcons fan? So this Falcons fan, I guess, called Cam Jordan a mid what does that mean from the kid's standpoint when you're a mid?
2: You know, that's one I'm not familiar with, but okay. I guess that means you're just okay.
0: Yeah, just middle of the road. Yeah.
2: I'd have to hear it in context.
0: Here's what, well, he just put mid on the tweet. And okay? hmm. yeah. this is from Falcon's Head at 247 Sports Talks. Um, Cam Jordan, what 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 is it, that thing called? Quote tweet?
2: Uh, the, yeah, the quote tweet. Okay, yeah, the yeah. quit
0: tweet. All right, mid, if I'm a mid, then y'all favorite franchise is poverty-stricken and has never drafted a real pass rusher worthy of having a career there. Y'all just have higher mercs, I can't name, uh, Falcons' D-N-D-T-heck-O linebacker that had over 70 sacks in black and red. Well, other than the fact that he's got a point, he's got a point on it. Got a point about it. By the way, um, he killed M- Matt Ryan over the decades. Whatever it was, he, he I think I think Cam Jordan has more sacks against Matt Ryan than any other player in the NFL. I believe that he has the most sacks against Matt Ryan for his career. I'm sure Matt Ryan gets up looking at his you know helmet ear hole and seeing visions of Cam Jordan sacking him. Still, he's laying down next to his kids and just wakes up sweating profusely in the middle of the night seeing that Cam Jordan is coming after him, right? So, again, um, good line by uh, uh, by Cam Jordan uh, out there. So, um, But uh, I don't agree with the Pro Football Focus uh, article. So, there you go. All right, when we get back, we will talk to the play-by-play voice, long-time play-by-play voice, been there since day one with the Miami Heat. As the uh, NBA Finals gets underway at 830, so tip-off at 830, Miami Heat, Denver Nuggets. We'll talk to Eric Reed, longtime play-by-play voice for the Miami Heat. Chuck Reed in the Studios. Sports Radio 929 The
1: Game in the Odyssey.com app. Sports Radio, two
0: nine The Game. It is a John Chuckery show coming to you live on this Thursday evening as we get ready for Game 1 of the NBA Finals. Miami Heat, Denver Nuggets. Should be a very interesting series. I mean, we, uh, we don't see these traditional powers, you know, getting together here. It's uh, usually been, you know, Lakers or, you know, Cavaliers or Golden State or somebody like that but uh, two maybe non-traditional powers in the world of the NBA. Let's head out to the WadeFord.com hotline. He is the television play-by-play voice for the Miami Heat on Bally Sports. Eric Reed is joining us here on the WadeFord.com hotline. He is on Twitter at e Miami Heat. Eric, thanks so much for uh, joining me here in Atlanta this evening as uh, we look to preview what should be a very interesting series of you know, maybe a couple of non-traditional powers You know, over the last few years in the NBA.
1: Well, Jenna, it's nice to be on with you. I'm going to plant a little seed of thought for you to look at Miami as a traditional power. This is the seventh final appearance for the, for the Heat since 2006. That's the most for any team in the league wow. in that time span. But, you know, we, we have taken an, a non-traditional way there. It's, it's been a unique playoff journey. You know, I've been with the Heat all 35 seasons. This is our 24th playoff appearance and, as Mm -hmm. I said, our our seventh conference title and, and trip to the finals. But this journey is like no other that came before it. It's totally unexpected without the sort of burden of expectation and filled with the joy of this surprising, uplifting effort that Jimmy Butler, Eric Spolstra, and the Miami Heat have put together. So here we are, June 1st. Uh, Still in it, and I I think it will be a great series. Totally intrigued by the matchup. Can't wait to see how Eric Spolster is going to uh, attack this thing from a defensive perspective right right from the start of game one.
0: You know, it is interesting because, obviously, we saw the Miami Heat last year. They were the number one seed in the NBA. They beat our Hawks uh, in the first round of the playoffs. They're in the NBA Finals this year. What was it that led to that number eight seed that kind of sandwiches in between all of that? Why? Was it not as successful as it's been in this playoff run or last year?
1: That's what everybody's asking now, and, uh, you know, join the club. We were asking that, (laughs) you know, through the whole regular season. Why can't this team be more consistent? The only change was losing P.J. Tucker to the 76ers. Um, It changed the chemistry, and and, uh, that change. And also, Tyler Hero uh, goes from sixth man of the year to a starter. And it took time for that chemistry to develop, and it took an even longer time for Hero, Bam, and Butler to to really get on the same page because they they just weren't in the same lineup. There were so many injuries during the course of the season, and the offense really struggled. Um, It showed signs of life in March and April, but if you look at the regular season stats, last in the NBA in scoring, um, near the bottom in three-point percentage and field goal percentage, and you know what, right now they they are the number one 3-point percentage team in the in the playoffs even without their 20 point a game guy that they were getting from Hero, uh they're they're now getting that from Caleb Martin, plus energetic and athletic defense. And you know what they've done? They they took all the lessons from the re- see people are questioning the importance of the regular season now because they're seeing a 44 win team in the finals So maybe it's not the win total that is the judge all of how good a regular season it was. Maybe it's how did it ready you for the playoffs? And in the Heat's case, a ton of close games and they went through a lot of adversity and uh, including getting blown out at home by Atlanta in game one of the play-in bumping them from seventh to at best eighth seed. And then had a fight like heck to beat Chicago in in the second play-in game and you know the expectations were not high, other than inside the Heat locker room, going against the top team in the in the league and the Bucks in the first round, and you know it, they took the Bucks by storm. They scored 130 in the first game, and took care of Milwaukee in five, the Knicks in six. The Celtics series will become one of the great playoff memories in Heat history because of the way the series started, and and and, and obviously the way that series ended.
0: You know, it's crazy, Eric, because everybody thought that in the Eastern Conference, you know, as we headed toward the playoffs, that, okay, Boston and Milwaukee are going to meet up in the Eastern Conference finals, and that's going to be one of the legendary series. And I had Kurt Heelan on, and we were talking about, like, this is going to shape up to be a great series. And here, Miami comes along and beats both of them in a both series. Both of them. Yeah. Without both of them.
1: home court advantage, yeah. right? With and, and you know what the Heat have done in all three of the series? First of all, they've been the underdog uh in nineteen of their twenty playoff games. Mm-hmm. It's the theme of this postseason. I'm calling calling them the, the underdog with the overbite. I mean <laughs> uh so it it's an incredible path and, and if they win the championship, they'll go through the best team in the West as well. Uh it's a unique journey we're on and and you know what's great about it for both teams? You 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 get a chance to play for it. You're you're in there four wins away, each Miami and Denver, both well-coached, both led by a star player that can score pretty much as much as they want, but their real gift is uh, making their teammates better and being great playmakers and and winners. So Butler and Jokic – Hey, let's get it going. We should have two great weeks of, of finals basketball ahead of us.
0: Television play-by-play broadcaster for the Miami Heat on Valley Sports. Eric Reed, joining me here on the waitfor.com hotline. Let's talk about Jimmy Butler. I mean, he made second team All-NBA this year. You know, he's been on the third team All-NBA a few times in his career. There's nothing that tangibly says, okay, this is what he does great, but – He's one of the great winners. There there is something that, you know, is just I, I don't know, you can't put your finger on what makes him so great and and he lifts it to your point. Lifts his teammates up, wills them to win. It's got to be a lot of fun covering a guy like that. And and I just I wonder if you can share some insight just what makes him so great? What makes him such a winner?
1: I am I am so happy to talk about that and try to share what we've learned by being with him and getting to watch him. And, and I'm glad the whole country and world will get to see him play in the finals. Um, he, he's really unique. And you know, I put out a tweet today, something to the effect of, you know, Jimmy Butler's entire life and his 12-year NBA career have prepared him for the moment he is in, uh, for this opportunity, for this championship chance. Uh, it's everything he's about. It, it's all that he plays for. You know the first thing is and this is going to sound really basic but this guy plays to win, not to score points, not to be first team all NBA, to win. I love the way he approaches each game, uh, and Kyle Lowry is is similar in mindset of these are guys that sort of take the temperature of the game they're in and figure out real quick what their team needs from them that night. To win that game whether it's scoring playmaking defense and all of the above so jimmy can do that and the other thing that's remarkable he's first of all he's in great shape keeps himself in tip top shape committed to the defensive end of the floor has never stopped working on his game the problem with the problem is more perception because he is not by trade a three-point shooter so I think people look at him and a DeMar DeRozan as sort of an antique car. Um you know, everybody shoots threes now. They do it in a different way, but his leadership, his the ability to give his teammates confidence, um gets to his spots, lethal mid-range shooter, draws fouls, plays defense, you know, will play 45 minutes a game and give you one or two turnovers and and fill up the stat sheet in a positive way. He is a winner and I'm just so happy for him that he gets another chance. He got a chance in the bubble finals, but this is his his second finals in his four years with Miami. And I think this is his, you know, e- even with this uncelebrated cast around him, this is a great chance for Jimmy Butler to be the one thing he has always wanted to be an NBA champion.
0: Eric, the uh, great Sam Mitchell and I used to go round and round about Eric's Bolstra. We we spent more than a year together working on radio and, You know, this was back in the days of LeBron and and Bosh and Wade and everybody. You know, tell me about his evolution, because now it feels like whenever Eric Spolstra is in a series on the sidelines, he has the advantage over just about anybody. And it, it has been kind of remarkable about just the growth of watching him becoming one of the best coaches, if not the best coach in the NBA. But tell me a little bit about his evolution as a coach over this whatever decade plus.
1: The first thing that comes to mind is the clairvoyance and vision of the great Hall of Famer, Pat Riley, sort of the patriarch of of the culture and the success that's been built over the last 29 years of of his leadership. And, you know, he identified – Spoh was the video coordinator. Young guy, just finished playing overseas in Germany. And and I'll never forget, Pat, when Pat Riley first got here, he asked about the video guy. He says, is he a basketball guy that knows video or – the?" and he soon found out this was a basketball guy that was learning how to be a video coordinator. And he got to work under Pat Riley and Stan Van Gundy and a great coaching staff. Um, You know, ever since Spo. I always make sure I pay attention to who it is that's in our video room because it's a great spot for young, aspiring coaches. You you really learn the grassroots of the league. You, you, you see personnel of every team. You know what everybody's running offensively and defensively. It's the perfect first step for future coaches. And he's just grown and grown and has been open to growth from within himself, uh, with his team. He keeps it real. He he infuses confidence uh, in his players. He has a great staff of former Heat players with him that that know what needs to be done. Um, they they help develop these guys, and uh, this is a, right now. This is just total organizational success from from the top of the basketball food chain in Miami right down to the to the last guy on that team.
0: Last question for you, Eric. Uh, you know, is this a situation where? You try to limit Joker, or is he just too unstoppable to be, to be really contained, but you don't allow Murray and some of these other guys to go off? Because it seems like nobody has had a real answer for Joker, whether it's regular season, playoffs, whatever, for the last few years. Is it just a situation where you have to sort of contain him, or is it more important to not let everybody else go off?
1: we're the last team that gets a chance to try to figure out what that, (laughs) that right code is, right? Because that's what makes Denver, you know, the team that they are and the favorite to win the NBA championship this year. He right now is the best player in the game. I think he's virtually unguardable. Um, I am so intrigued to see how the strategy starts and, Evolves through the series on on what the Heat will do. Know this: they won't do just one thing. They will do as much as they feel they need to do. It starts with what you know. Coach Spoelstra would say: overwhelming defensive energy and activity, attention to detail, change it up. But it's hard to fool him. Um, you know, it's hard to disguise your double team. If he sees it, you're cooked because he's going to get it to the open guy. I, I'm not a coach. I'm just a uh, TV broadcaster that's been around the game for a long, long time. Uh, For me, I almost feel like you could win with Jokic getting 30 plus points, but it's going to be harder to win. If Murray has also got 30 and that's the way it played in the Western conference finals. So that's what frightens me most about Jokic, not what he's going to score, but how he's going to make everybody around him better. And when he gets Murray and Porter and Gordon and KCP going, that's when they become, you know, the best team in the league and, or, or what they were the best team in the West for sure.
0: Eric Reed, he's a television play-by-play broadcaster for the Miami Heat on Valley Sports. He joined me here on the waitforit.com hotline. Follow him on his personal Twitter page, at E. Miami Heat. And, Eric, appreciate the time, man. Always enjoy talking to you. Thank you so much for being uh, on the show here in Atlanta. And, listen, good luck to you guys.
1: Thank you so much, and really, what what a, what a, an honor to to be with the Heat and uh, to be in another NBA final. So thanks for talking with us. You
0: got it, John Chuckery, We'll be back. Sports Radio ninety nine. The game. Odyssey dot com app. Sports Radio, 92.9 at the game, back at a Chuckery show, hanging out in the Keyes studios on this Thursday evening with you. Just getting underway in the uh, NBA Finals, game one, uh, Denver up 2-0. Uh, um, uh, looks like a late arriving crowd up there. Like, there's – is that some empty seats that that are in there? I mean, obviously it's their first ever NBA Finals.
2: Now, from from my angle, what I'm saying, it looks like it, those gold shirts might be throwing you off. Maybe I don't know, but it looks. I mean, the rows that are right behind the benches seem to be pretty full.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe some of those gold, uh, um, maybe some of those gold shirts are are that way. So I'm guessing that they that they probably. I had. can't imagine
2: them not having a packed house. N- no, in all yeah. Honesty. I
0: mean, again, it's you know, it's first time ever. I don't even know. Did they ever? Um, weren't they in the ABA? The Nuggets. Yeah, they were an ABA team. Yeah, I don't even know if they were ever in an ABA championship or anything like that, right? Because wasn't um, didn't Dan Issel play for them when they were in the ABA? Um, I thought I think he played for the Kentucky Colonels, and I think he played for the Denver Nuggets when they were in the ABA. But I don't even know if the A, I don't even know if the Nuggets they went to an A, uh, an ABA championship or anything like that. So this may be you know the first.
2: Yeah, forty-seven years—they've never made it to the finals.
0: Okay, there you go. So, and that includes the ABA and everything like I that. Guess so, yeah. Okay. Well, but well, 40, forty-seven years ago, how long ago was that?
2: What, I don't know, but I when I first saw that stat um, a couple of weeks ago, I I even posted about it. I was like, dang, I'm older than the Nuggets.
0: <laughs> um, let me see about that. Twenty twenty-three minus forty-seven.
2: They they came. That's into only the... seventy-six. Yeah, is I that, was born in 74.
0: Well, no, but I'm saying that weren't they in the ABA before that? Oh,
2: beforehand.
0: Yeah. Weren't they in the ABA before 76? Or or is that when the franchise just completely started? I, I, don't, I don't remember enough about my Nuggets history. Now, I, I remember some of those Nuggets teams, Kiki Vandeweghe, Alex English, Fat Lever. Like, those teams were great in the early 80s.
2: Yeah, they were in the ABA. They did make postseason in the ABA, but they did not make okay. it into the uh, championships. Okay. What years? Uh, they were ABA. Let's see. Looks like from sixty-seven to yeah. seventy-four, and yeah, then seventy-four say, is when they went to the NBA.
0: Right. Right. So the seventy-six, you know, in nineteen seventy-six or whatever, they, that that's when they convert. Yeah, because they would have been in the ABA well before nineteen seventy-six. So, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, um. You know, I mean, Denver sports. I mean, it's been the Broncos have had had success. The Rockies really haven't had success. Um, Colorado, uh, the um, uh, the Avalanche have been Stanley Cup champions. Yeah, you know, they were Stanley Cup champions before. So, um, but yeah, this is this is a whole different deal, and uh, it's an interesting Nuggets team. I mean, listen, this is this is Joker's time. I believe. I think. I think. I think it could be Joker's time. And um, you know, look, if he wins a NBA championship, this solidifies everything about uh, about Joker, um, he's one of the great players and he's been he has been the best player in the playoffs right now like he's been just an outstanding player. I think he' he's averaging a triple double so far in the playoffs, right I think I think and the stat I thought I heard was Wilt and somebody else, I think averaged a triple double going into the NBA Finals over the course of the playoffs. so he's been he's been the best player in the playoffs. they've been the best team in the playoffs. but you know with all of that, it's Jimmy Buckets man. It's Jimmy Butler. Like don't count that guy out. Never bet against never bet against that guy. When it comes to Jimmy Butler, don't bet against that guy. And they they had to fight scratch claw to get through Boston. And think about the fact that, you know, we talked about this, they beat, you know, Derek Reed, they they beat Boston and Milwaukee and one every, and the two. And everybody had those two teams as as okay, you know, Kurt Heelan and I discussed this that hey, this is going to be one of the great uh, Eastern Conference Finals in NBA history when Boston and Milwaukee meet up with one another. Well, guess what? As the Miami Heat said, uh-uh, they had other plans for it. And they beat both of those teams with the Knicks sandwiched in between the middle of uh, all of that. So we'll see what happens uh, here. Um, this game won't be over before we we get out of here. Uh, Braves, uh, we're going to talk about the Braves coming up at the top of the hour. They, uh, they have the night off tonight, and uh, an interesting series headed into Oakland. I mean, this, this will be a good series for them to head into it. So, um, you know, Arizona's been actually pretty good, right? They're tied with the Dodgers for the division lead, and, you know, listen, they, um, you know, it, it's, it's a matter of, you know, they maybe won't hang around Later on in the season, but for right now, yeah, doing a pretty good job. Pretty good job. And they have a great pitcher. Zach Allen has been outstanding this year. He's going to take on Michael Soroka coming up on Sunday. So we'll see how Michael Soroka's second start goes. Um, But the Braves will be in Arizona um, coming up tomorrow night. And then we're going to talk about this at the 9 o'clock hour because things open up for the Atlanta Braves. Things open up for them. So we'll see if they can take advantage of all of that. So speaking of getting taken advantage of, let's get to something we call what's bugging Chuckery. Don't look now, but somebody out there just got Chuckery ticked off. (laughs) Like that's hard. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. It's time for what's bugging Chuckery on sports radio, 92, nine, the game. Well, obviously all the sec coaches are down in Destin, Florida, as we talked about the, uh, the other day and everybody's making headlines. So, we, uh, we saw earlier that the SEC would play an eight-game schedule with no divisions for the 2024 season. So eight games, 16 teams, no divisions. You'll take the two best teams in the SEC and roll with it from there. Okay, But obviously there's been a lot of speculation that the SEC was going to go to a nine-game conference schedule, and it's been all of the buzz. Coaches are on all sides of this debate, right? Some coaches want nine games. Some coaches want to leave it at eight. Kirby Smart weighed in on the conversation. Quote, the most overrated conversation in the world. Okay. Uh, Quote, four years, you will play everybody home and away. I get the traditional rivalries. You have three, you have two, you have one. You have this, you have that. You guys need something to write about bad when you start talking about this. 100% agree with Kirby Smart. What difference does it make if they play eight or nine conference games? You know, here's the thing that I always talk about. I've talked about this for years on the college football show. One thing that makes the SEC and ACC unique is those rivalry games. The fact that we get Florida, Florida State, Georgia, Georgia Tech. Uh, Excuse me. South Carolina, Clemson. I love those kinds of matchups. I love those southern regional matchups. We don't get that with whatever. Pac-12, Big 12, right? We may get a random game or two, but there isn't an inherent rivalry with Texas and UCLA. Or Washington and Baylor. You know, we don't have those kinds of rivals anywhere else in the country. You know, again, you know who some of the biggest rivals for Ohio State besides Michigan are? Non-conference rivals? The Pac-12 when they play them in the Rose Bowl. USC. And even in some ways, some of the MAC teams. Because, again, the the joke with Ohio State is, you know, every year they go win the MAC championship before they go win the Big Ten championship because they'll play Ohio, Akron, Toledo, um, Miami of Ohio, right? All the all the MAC teams. But again, you don't get that kind of Power Five crisscross, and it happens every single year. Like I said, I lo- I mean, how cool was Clemson in South Carolina? I'd rather have that game an in-state rival game then pick a team. Clemson and, uh, or sorry, I mean South Carolina and uh, um, who's, a uh, Auburn. There's no rival there. And Kirby's exactly right. You're going to play everybody home and home in a four-year period the way it's going to be now. You're going to get a chance to play all these teams. Teams aren't going to be able to just, you know, duck and hide for a decade, right? You know, we haven't seen enough of Georgia and Alabama. Well, that's not going to be the case now moving forward. There'll be those matchups. It won't be Georgia and Alabama will play once every 13 years or something crazy, right? Those kinds of things are not going to happen now in modern college football. So again, I you know, and by the way, I know Kirby's you know that that Kirby you know got some pushback just because you know people oh well you know they can say that because they're Georgia well what do you think that Nick Saban was saying a few years ago? Oh, I think we should play all all conference games and power five teams and this and this. yeah because Kirby Smart or sorry uh, Nick Saban would have been favored in every one of those games. Literally, Nick Saban would have been a betting favorite in every single game other than maybe Clemson when they had Deshaun Watson and guys like that. They would have been the betting favorite. Yeah, when you get to the very top of the heap, it doesn't matter. Doesn't doesn't matter how many conference games or who you play or this, that, and the other, because Jordan's going to be favorite in every game. They're going to be an overwhelming favorite in every game. Weren't, weren't they like almost a three-touchdown favorite against Oregon in that game? I think so, yeah. I think it was like 18 or 19 was the spread in that game, right? And they just whipped, whipped Oregon. And Oregon turned out to have a pretty good team with Bo Nix. So, yeah, it's easy for Kirby to say that, oh, well, you know, it doesn't matter about this or that or we can play anybody. Because they beat everybody. They beat everybody. The only team that they have not beaten on a regular basis is Alabama. That's it. So, you know, again, when I hear these coaches talk about all this kind of stuff about, you know, well, you know, schedules don't matter, this, that, and the other. It's because, you know, when you're Kirby Smart and Nick Saban, you're favored in every game you play. doesn't matter who you play. You can have number one versus number two, and you're still going to be favored. What What was TCU ranked? Uh, They were what? Fourth? Was it fourth in the country? Third, fourth, whatever in the country? Yeah. And Georgia was an overwhelming favorite in that game. So, again, Kirby Smart's exactly right about all this. It's a lot of fodder for the media. Doesn't really matter. Uh, Again, if they play eight or nine conference games. I like the fact that they play those ACC teams. And if we have to keep that together then I'm all for it. If sacrificing Auburn and Missouri to make sure I get Florida, Florida State, I'll sacrifice A&M, Kentucky to make sure I get Florida, Florida State. And if you're young, you may not know how important Florida, Florida State was. And we've seen at times how important Clemson, South Carolina is. Or um, um, Georgia, Georgia Tech, obviously. Heck, Mike Griffith called uh, Georgia Tech maybe the toughest team on uh, Georgia's calendar this year. Maybe their toughest team on the schedule. I don't know about that, but again, I mean, you know, we'll see what Brent Key does, but those are good games. Yeah, it's been lopsided as of late because Kirby and George are so much more dominant than Georgia Tech. But guess what? I was here when George O'Leary was beating uh, Georgia. That was one of the things about Jim Donnan was like couldn't beat Auburn, couldn't beat Georgia Tech, couldn't do it enough consistently. And guess what? Guess where he ended up. That's what happens when you don't beat those when you don't beat your in state rival, right? But when I was you know, when I was here early on in Atlanta, you know, and, and George got the job. Who's beating Georgia regularly. So, again, I I don't – I'm in 100% agreement with Kirby Smart. It really is the most overrated conversation in the world. You're going to play everybody in a home-and-home home over a course of four years. That's plenty. It's plenty. I don't necessarily – I mean, I would love to see Georgia and Alabama play every year. But playing, like, two times in a four-year period – I love that because it doesn't become old. It doesn't become stale, right? Like it doesn't become just, okay, it's another weekend with Georgia playing, you know, Alabama or whatever like that. You know, no, no, make it special, right? Keep it a special type of game that, again, that's what's great about college football. You know, I mean, but having these matchups where you're talking about what, you know, what would he miss out on? Vanderbilt and LSU or something like that, like, I'll, I'll take, I'll take, you know, Florida, Florida state way over Vanderbilt and LSU. If that's what I've got to live with, I'll sacrifice games in the SEC for the good of it. And guess what? Doesn't matter if they play eight, nine, whatever like that, George, you know, the, 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 uh, SEC, I should say, they'll still have two teams in the playoffs pretty much every year. Right. Still have two teams. that will be in the mix for an actual championship banner to be hung. All right, when we get back, things open up for the Braves. Let's see if they can take advantage of it. Check the Kia Studios, Sports Radio 929 The Game, and the Odyssey.com app. Ooh,